Well, welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. I'm Coulter Nuanez. As always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. Good Big Sky Breakdown coming at you. We're going to feature interviews from Danny Sprinkle, Montana State's second-year head men's basketball coach, along with Chris Cobb, the associate head coach for the University of Montana men's basketball team. He's in his seventh year as the head assistant under Travis DeCure. We'll also have a conversation with Brooks Nuanez that we featured on my new radio show, Nuanez Now, 1029 ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide, SWX Montana Television. And then we continued that conversation conversation after we finish recording it and we touch on Jeff Choate and his staying at Montana State after being a finalist for the Boise State job. We also analyze Samari Torres transfer to the University of Nebraska, former Grizz wide receiver. And then we also talk about the validity of spring football and some of the challenges that we see facing the Big Sky Conference as they try to play spring. Here is a sports center recorded earlier this week for ESPN Missoula about all of the scheduling that's happening about the basketball schedule on Thursday around the Big Sky Conference. For the first time all season, all four Division I basketball teams from the Treasure State will play Big Sky Conference games this weekend. Because of early and unorthodox scheduling, bye weeks, and cancellations, the Montana and Montana State women's and men's teams have not partaken in conference action simultaneously yet this winter. That changes tonight as all four teams are in action beginning with the Montana men. The Grizzlies tip off against Northern Arizona at 5 p.m. tonight at Dahlberg Arena. Last season, the Lumberjacks snapped a 10-game losing streak to UM by posting a 57-56 upset over the Grizz in Flagstaff, sparking a skid that saw Montana lose 3 out of 4 down the stretch. This year, UM is 1-3 in Big Sky play, its most recent win, a 2-point victory over Northern Colorado, and NAU is 2-3 in league play after getting swept by Idaho State last weekend. The Lady Grizz tip at NAU at 6 p.m., the same time the Montana State men's first Division I home game of the entire season in Bozeman tips against Portland State. The NAU women are 3-3 in league play, while the Lady Grizz are 1-1. The MSU men swept Northern Colorado and Greeley last weekend, marking the first time Montana State earned a road sweep over the Bears since 2006. The MSU women tip at 8 p.m. at Portland State. The Bobcats are 1-1 in league, while PSU is 2-2. The Big Sky Breakdown, along with all other podcasts on SkylineSportsMT.com, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot Communications, proud sponsor of all unique and creative podcasts around the state of Montana. Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot, connect to more. Up first on the Big Sky Breakdown, we'll hear from Danny Sprinkle, head coach for Montana State. His team earned a road sweep of Northern Colorado for the first time since 2006, a 79-67 victory in the first game of the week, 28 points for Xavier Bishop, including 14 in the last 10 minutes of that game, and then an overtime victory, 76-74 on Saturday, behind another 22 points from Xavier Bishop, but Amin Adamu, the star of that game, 36 points, uh, one of only 23 players, or 23 performances at least. A lot of guys did it multiple times of that many points in Bobcat history. Here's Danny Sprinkle previewing his team's games against Portland State this weekend. Weekly segment with Montana State head men's basketball coach Danny Sprinkle. And coach, you must be feeling pretty good right now because last time we talked, you were thinking, I don't know much about my team. We're still trying to figure it out. We had another 16-day stretch between Division I games, but instead now you're coming off of a two-game road trip in which you earned two wins. Win by 12 points at Northern Colorado on Thursday and then got out in a really exciting two-point victory over the Bears in Greeley on Saturday. So just broadly, coach, the fact that you got a couple Big Sky games in and they were a couple of Big Sky wins, your program must be feeling okay right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it was obviously a great weekend for us. Yeah, you know, I mean, we we did some things. We we improved in a lot of areas, which I was I was proud of our guys because a lot of the detail stuff we've been talking about, you know, they they worked their butts off and and you know it came to fruition. You know, at game time. Now there's still a ton of stuff we got to get better at. And you know, you mentioned yeah, we do know a little more about our team. We still don't know everything. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we we know we got a tough opponent coming in this week, and and we we have, we just have to continue to get better. You know, I mean, both those games could have gone either way. Uh, we were fortunate to win both of them, and 
it's still a lot of season left, and we we got to keep getting a lot better. Your entire backcourt got a lot of headlines because Xavier Bishop, he's the Big Sky Conference Player of the Week after having 28 points on Thursday, including 14 in the last 10 minutes to lead you guys on this great 18 nothing run. They kind of flipped that result on its head, and they had another 22 in the overtime win on Saturday. And Amin Adamu, he had one of the great scoring games I've seen in my 10 years covering the Cats. Poured in 36 points at one point. He made nine out of 10 shots. Let's start with Amin first, Coach, because I listened to your post game with Zach Mackey on the Bobcat radio network and you were saying man when you're in kind of the throes of the game you know a guy's doing well but you don't know he's lighting it up like that and it was the same thing for me I was like watching the game and I'm thinking man Amon's really carrying him offensively and I start looking at the stats it's like oh this guy's made seven shots in a row eight shots in a row all of a sudden he's got 36 <laughs> points just take him through his explosive effort he's really good you know when he when he's kind of isolated and and, you know, we've talked about it this year. You know, we, we have more guys that can shoot around him this year. Now, Northern Colorado, the way they defend, they just latch onto your shooters. And so, you know, we, we knew we were going to get some, you know, some one-on-one or we could make it into a two-on-two, three-on-three game with them. And I knew X and, and Almond would get some great opportunities over the weekend. And, you know, but then it comes down to those guys making shots, you know, and, and they did that. Uh, but, you know, like you said, with Almond, you know, I had no idea at 36. I, I knew he was playing well, and, you know, he's just he's really good at the free throw line. And so, you know, we needed all 36 of them. I know that. And Xavier Bishop also had great second half as well, carrying you guys down the stretch for portions of that half. Yeah. But just those two, those two guys, it seems as if they're both learning how to play together. Even though they both kind of need to have the ball in their hands, it seems like they're they're both kind of trying to figure out the way to tr- take their turns, and it seems like it's uh, it's making progress in that element. Yeah, no, and and just the more games we play, the more comfortable everybody's getting with each other. You know, th- their roles, you know, they're kind of defining their own roles. And, uh, you know, and that's every team, you know, in our league, that's what's going on. And so, but they are, they, you know, they're they're, da- they're kind of a dangerous duo, you know, when they're both playing well and, and shooting the ball. Um, because they can both, they're both really good one-on-one players and they can get the ball to the rim and they're both really good finishers. And uh, anytime you have that and you can, you can put some shooters around them, you know, it, it's it's hard to guard that. You mentioned Abdul Muhammad, and I thought that was a great point as well because Abdul Muhammad, uh, maybe not the scoring load, been in the starting lineup for the last couple games, and he's playing against one of the best wings in the league in Bodie Hume, a returning all-big sky yes. guy who, who's kind of the go-to guy at Northern Colorado, their most established player. And Abdul Muhammad, uh, Bodie Hume does finish with 14 points, but Abdul Muhammad really makes him work for it. I think it took him 14 shots to get there. Hume was 2 of 11 from beyond the arc. So just talk about Abdul's defensive effort. Yeah, Abdul was tremendous. I mean, that was – you know, one of the, the main reasons we won the game, uh, both games, you know, to be honest with you. And, and when we showed film to the team yesterday, you know, we showed, we call them championship plays. Like we showed all of his championship plays and out of probably the 18 clips that we had, probably 12 of them were Abdul, you know, just making extra effort plays, diving on the floor, getting loose balls, getting championship rebounds. And, and then just like I said, his defense on Hume, you know, his his length because Abdul's he's a legit six eight you know and he is long, and and he's got a good feel defensively like he's got good instincts to contest shots and, and uh, you know he made it hard on Hume. Hume's a terrific player. He's gonna make some shots you know and he had some good looks that he missed too. But you know I really think you know Abdul you know over the co- course of you know forty minutes both nights you know, did a tremendous job just making it as hard as possible and keeping him out of rhythm. Danny Sprinkle joining us. He's Montana State's second-year head men's basketball coach. His team coming off of a 2-0 and weekend in Greeley, Colorado, against Northern Colorado, a pair of victories down there against the Bears. And, Coach, now you transition into preparing for another Big Sky team. You guys haven't really got to get into the ebbs and flows of conference play. It's kind of been hurry up and wait. When are we going to play? And now all of a sudden now you're in it. <laughs> yeah. what, what's the transition like to get your guys and say, hey, now it's actually a typical deal. We have to play Thursday, Saturday one more time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's going to be good for everybody in our league just kind of getting back into that rhythm, you know, because the non-conference is just so scattered. You know, some you're not playing for 18, 19 days and, and, you know, now the guys have something to look forward to every week. And, uh, you know, it's a totally different game this week than it was last week. You know, Portland State, their style of play, uh, their athleticism, their press, I mean, it's a, it's a totally different deal, which makes conference play fun. You know, you got to prepare for different styles, and, you know, and the adjustments and all that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how our team handles, you know, taking care of the ball and, and, uh, and rebounding the basketball. Uh, because that's that's where Portland State really gets you is on the offensive glass. 
One of my favorite parts about covering the Big Sky Conference is the diversity in styles. It doesn't matter if you're talking football, men's basketball, women's basketball, yeah. because it's such a big league. You know, you might have a Northern Colorado that likes to, you know, slow it down, grind it out, and then you have Portland State the very next week with this press. Uh, but you mentioned just the press and the offensive rebounding. How do you go about simulating that in practice? Because it seems like skill-wise you guys got some guards that can handle the pressure. But you, you mentioned the other element. They crash the offensive glass. They try to get such a high percentage of those offensive rebounds. So how do you go about yeah. simulating those two elements in practice this week? You know, like yesterday we put – you know, when we do our press offense work, we just we put sometimes six defenders on the floor and sometimes seven. Um, you know, and so basically, every, you know, those seven guys are just trapping everywhere. And so every time, you know, it's hard to get a catch. And when you do catch it, you're getting trapped. And, uh, you know, it's a lot harder to break the press when there's seven guys. Uh, but then we're also doing, you know, different drills of, uh, of working on getting trapped and being strong with the ball. And, you know, stepping through traps and, you know, not getting tied up or getting the ball deflected. You know, that's going to be a huge part of the game because you can't – first off, like you said, you can't let them get offensive rebounds. And then second of all, you can't let them get steals in their press and easy layups. You know, if you let them get eight to ten points off their press, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And, uh, you know, that's that's our focal point this week. Portland State, a brand new look from a year ago. Uh, very few even returners at all. I know they had no returning starters and hardly anybody that you even recognize from the roster from a year ago. But you know Barrett Perry is going to reload every single year, particularly with his ability to recruit both Division One and junior college transfers. And they got a couple guys that have put up some pretty prolific stats already this year. But is there anything different about Portland State besides the personnel? Or is it just a similar style and guys that kind of fit the system, even if they're not quite recognizable to Big Sky fans quite yet? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's 95% the exact same, you know, system. Uh, the only difference is, you know, I think, you know, they have a big guy, Amari McCray this year, who's about 6'8", 6'9", 300 pounds. And where last year they had Sal Nuhu, you know, who, you know, so last year they could switch one through five and Nuhu was probably their best defensive player. I mean, he guarded Harold Frey better than their guards did. And, you know, which caused a problem because it was really hard to run offense against them because they just switch everything and they just made you make plays. You know, where this year, you know, they're switching more one through four and sometimes even one through three. And uh, I think that that's the main difference that I've seen this year is, you know, they're not switching everything. Um, and, you know, obviously he's not as athletic. He's different than Sal Nuhu because he's, I mean, he's a beast on the block, uh, but, you know, Nuhu, he got to the point where, I mean, I thought he was one of the most dangerous players in the league last year. Truly amazing to say, but you guys are eight games into your season. You've been playing since November 25th, and you have not played a Division One opponent on your home court. And now you get to <laughs> on Thursday and Saturday. I know it's not going to be the same home debut, Coach, that it usually is, given that there's not going to be fans in the stands. But you guys have to be happy to make it, be making your Big Sky Conference debut at home this weekend. It's funny you said that because I didn't even realize that until you just said it. I mean, we're just so caught up in the grind of everything. It's like, I mean, but that is that is crazy. We're in the second week of January and we haven't played a Division One home game. Um, you know, I mean, it's great, but it's it's just it kind of is what it is. Like, it, it's just different without the fans, you know. And so you don't kind of feel the excitement uh, as much. And you know, it's you know, basically probably to our guys and even to their guys, it's just, hey, it's another game. Hey, we, they were fortunate enough to be able to play, you know, with a lot of the cancellations going on and knock on wood, you know, that we're still able to play this Thursday and Saturday. He's Danny Sprinkle, Montana State head men's basketball coach. His team hosts Portland State this weekend. It's 6 p.m. on Thursday and noon on Saturday. You can find both those games on the Bobcat Radio Network or on Pluto TV channel One. 57. I guess it's 10.57 now. Pluto's blowing up. They got all sorts of channels now, but one of them is for the Big Sky Conference. You, you can find the Bobcats and the Vikings on Pluto TV Thursday and Saturday. Coach, we appreciate it as always. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll catch up with you next week. You got it. Appreciate you. Thanks, Coulter. Corcoran, you know you're one of the most famous people I know, right? Come on. I don't know about that. You know Ryan Tutel. Riley, he's not even famous anymore. In fact, he's just your run-of-the-mill vagabond. (laughs) 
That's fair. But Riley, as the voice of the Grizz, everybody knows you, and they know you have all the ins and outs of the University of Montana Athletic Department. But I want to know, can you hang when it comes to breaking down sports across the state of Montana? It'd be my pleasure to try, and that's exactly what we're going to do. That's right, Missoula. Voice of the Grizzlies, Riley Corcoran, will be joining me, Coulter Nuanas, every Monday and Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. on my new show, Nuanas Now, Montana's only daily sports talk show. So be sure to tune in to Nuanez Now every Monday and Tuesday to hear from me, Riley Corcoran, and be sure to keep it dialed in to Nuanez Now every weekday from 4 to 6 right here on 1029 FM ESPN Missoula. Nuanez Now, Montana's only daily sports talk show, live every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. on 1029 ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide on SWX Montana Television. Welcome in a good friend of the show, someone we have not talked to on this show in quite some time, Chris Cobb, associate head coach for the University of Montana men's basketball team. And Coach Cobb, it's been wild times. It's uh, no surprise that we've been kind of ebbing and flowing through this entire basketball season. But uh, here we are now, and Montana is finally back into Big Sky Conference play. You had this funky opener in the uh, beginning of December. Didn't play another conference game for almost a month. And then you have this unorthodox bye the second week of January. You guys do get a Division three win over Whitworth, 84-67 on Saturday. But now into it with Northern Arizona coming to town. So, I mean, what's been the biggest challenge in terms of trying to get your guys into the flow of the season? Because it seems like it's just been so sporadic. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of challenges right now, Coulter, that we're, you, you attack. And I think the biggest thing is just being prepared for for anything and everything you know i think we've we've really uh, been spoiled the last few years with with strong continuity and um, guys coming back that had a, a really good understanding of what we were doing day in and day out and and now we're at a point where we've taken some transfers and we have some young players and we've uh we've, we've been playing the young guys and so it's just getting a little bit uh, better understanding of who we are and um, guys in different roles and, and what that takes and what that requires. Um, I think the biggest thing, culture that we're, you know, we're fighting every day is just just consistency of saying, okay, this is how we practice every day. And this is, um, this is how it should look. This is what a Montana Grizzly basketball practice looks like. Um, and, and, and how it feels and we've been you know we've had start and stops and we haven't had as many practices or times to to go through but that's everybody in the country uh it just is highlighted i think because we're the continuity isn't as strong with with this roster with this group but i think that there's times that you see us play really good basketball and there's times that um we're a little bit inconsistent uh and i think you can look at the the record and and look at some of that stuff and and feel good and feel bad. I think you can feel good because we just really have struggled to close games out. Um, but then you also can look at it and say, hey, guys, we're, we're really close. We're playing good basketball. It stretches here. If we can clean up a couple couple things, uh, we'll, we'll like where we're at. We'll like um, what, we, what we're doing. But I think it's one of those years where we talked about uh, with the guys that you can win every game on your schedule and you can lose every game on your schedule. And, um, and that's good and bad. We just got to be more consistent. In Travis Takir's seven years at the helm, it's been a rare occurrence that there's been a roster with so many new faces, so many young guys. So do you ever have to give yourself perspective and say, hey, we, you know, I mean, like Northern Colorado, for example, when they were in town, you guys, I think the first of the two games of the weekend, you were playing uh, three sophomores and two freshmen in crunch time. It actually might have even been three freshmen and two sophomores, but uh, a young yeah. Grizz team to be sure. So uh, do you ever have to give yourself a big picture and say, hey, you know, we are going to figure this out. We are going to be able to learn how to practice just like Grizzlies, learn how to operate in games like the coaching staff wants you guys to. Yeah, and I think uh, a little bit falls into what you're saying, right? Like we we did this in 2016 where we, we were fine with playing young guys and um, guys that weren't in the program for two, three, four years. Uh, so we've been here before. Um, I think we really like the young guys and we really like the talent and the trajectory of where this thing can go. Um, and there's, there's going to be some lumps. I think Part of it, honestly, Coulter, like just sitting in our seat in, in in our spot every day is like how you coach these guys has to be a little different, right? Like we're we're challenged to be better as coaches and be better communicators and be more efficient with our time uh, because you have to realize that we didn't have a summer, right? We didn't really have a summer with these guys like we typically do to introduce things and teach things. Um, the fall was inconsistent. You know, we had – 
couple stoppages of two weeks at a time and, and whatnot. And then you look up and it was funny. I was talking to my dad last night on the phone and right now, 11 games in is typically where we are at um, to uh, evaluate a non-conference schedule going into big sky conference play. Well, now we've already played four games. So it's tough, right? Like you have to be able to sit back and, I think what made us good is that we're really intense and we want to win and every minute of every day and everything that we do is, is very intense and matters. But then you also have to step back and say, okay, these guys have only played 11 college games. Like look at our team last year after 11 games uh, and then look at it after 30 games is very different, right? Like we were, we weren't that far along um, 11 games into the season in Nebraska, Omaha, by the time we came back from Christmas, we were much further along understanding of what, who our team was, who the, the, the guys that needed the shots in certain areas, how we scheme defensively and what we do and the rotations and the habits that are required to be really good. And so we have to, I think, temper ourselves in terms of patience, which we don't have much of if you ever looked at us coaching on the bench or been at practice. We don't have a lot of patience or trying. Um, and so we just have to – I think be big picture and say, look, this is where we're at right now. In three weeks, we have to be here. In six weeks, we have to be here. And then by the time we get to Boise, we have to play our best basketball. Chris Cobb joining us. He's the associate head coach for the University of Montana men's basketball team. And coach, from from an off-the-court perspective, you and I have talked frequently about how important chemistry is. Just guys getting along, guys guys wanting to be around each other, wanting to hang out, and then also wanting to play with each other as well. And it seems like you got your your team has uh, some apparent pretty natural chemistry, especially because they are all kind of young and going through the same thing. But how hard is that part? I mean, how do you go about you know getting these guys to know each other and more importantly trust each other when there's not a lot of you know dinner parties going on at uh, the, the current state of affairs? It's uh, it's by far the hardest part of this culture. Like you look at uh, a couple of these guys, and it was funny. I was talking to them uh, to our freshmen in particular, right? You have like the freshmen, and then you have some of the guys that have just entered into the program as transfers or whatnot, and they don't even know like where their favorite spot to eat is in Missoula. Like you say, hey, have you had the wings at Tamarack? Have you, um, you know, have you been here? Have you been there? And they're like, no. Like what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? And so that's the other part is their the life and their environment is so different. Um, their interaction with each other, we're trying to encourage them to stay away from social gatherings and, uh, you know, and figure out what uh, they can can't do together, right? There's times where we're saying you have to only stay with the three or four guys that, that you're living with. So it's tough because they don't get to interact with each other as much, but everywhere, I don't think there, there's any point where we have to say, uh, you know, poor us. It's, it's everywhere in the country world. So uh, we're trying to manage it as, as best we can and still give off the best experience that we can to these guys knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel. It is brutal, though, right? Because part of the allure of recruiting to Montana, part of the allure of playing in Montana, even just being a student at Montana like I was, is it's – but, Coach, that, that has to just be uh, a bummer just overall in general because part of the, the allure of recruiting to Missoula and just being a student in Missoula and all that is just the allure of the college town, right? I mean, going out, getting something to eat, being in downtown Missoula, walking down by the river, and it seems like these guys are kind of getting robbed of it. So do you kind of keep it out there in front of them, though, like, hey, guys, if we take care of business, this isn't going to last forever? Or how do you keep guys' attitudes positive just about their, their everyday lives outside of basketball? Yeah, I think it's exactly that, and it's uh, – they were here for visits, uh, you know, and, and, and saw this place, you know, in in a fall at a football game or in the spring, uh, it, you know, just kind of going through workouts and just being around here in a normal environment. So I think part of it is uh, just, hey, guys, like, obviously this isn't just Missoula. This isn't just, you know, like, this is, this is everywhere in the world, right? Like, Josh Bannon's coming from – Australia and it's it's over there, right? It was mm-hmm. it was where he was at. It was affected in in Canberra and Melbourne, and so uh, he understands that. I think it just gets really hard mentally on some of these guys that are away from home for the first time, or uh, you, you know, in a different place or a different environment, and you really can't experience it. You have to stay in your room, or you have to stay uh, in a building, or whatever it is. And so um, it, it's it's challenging. Uh, we don't try to use any of that as an excuse because, like I said, I think it's it's going on everywhere, and we're just fortunate that we're able to have two to three hours a day where they can lift or we can go in the gym and work out and do that, so we're fortunate in that regard. Um, 
but it is something that, like you said, makes Missoula special. This is what it is, right? And when he comes from from L.A., Robbie Beasley comes from uh, the Bay Area, and, and they're coming here because of the environment, because of the passion, the excitement that exists in this community, and what they get here when they go to school, and they're really not getting that. So you have to be able to kind of say, guys, look, gosh, by the end of this semester, maybe there'll be a little bit of that, you know, if vaccines can get rolled out or whatnot, but probably won't happen until the, the fall of next year. And you've got to keep plugging along and use this year as an opportunity to say, hey, I'm appreciative that I get to get on the court. I get to learn the system. Uh, I get to be around teammates and coaches that are trying to make me better in, in one of the things that I love doing and, and, and have the right spirit and, and right perspective on everything. He's Chris Cobb, associate head coach for the University of Montana men's basketball team. A couple more things for you, Coach. One, we've talked extensively on this show about some of the young guys. I know that uh, people that listen to this show, they, they got a little bit of an insight on what Robbie Beasley and, and uh, Brandon Whitney were expected to be like, and they've been really good as freshmen. But one guy that maybe was a little under the radar coming into the year, who's gotten a ton of minutes, who's been a starter throughout his true freshman year already, and uh, last time out for the Big Sky in a Big Sky Conference game, buried the game winner with about five seconds to go and that's Josh Bannon, and uh, he has been a, a pleasant surprise to watch. It seems like he's got a great skill set, a great basketball IQ, uh, but what have you guys been pleased with so far when it comes to Josh Bannon, and how has he been able to earn that spot in the starting lineup? Uh, ultimate competitor, uh, ultimate competitor. Uh, I could say that five more times. Uh, total great habits, great. Uh, you talk about his IQ. Uh, he's just a winner. You know, He's a winner in the classroom. He's a 4.0 student. Um, he's got great habits. He's got a uh, great desire to be really good at everything he does. Um, so we don't have to coach any, any of that stuff, which is always a bonus. Uh, he's six, nine, like you said, tremendous IQ. We, we, we talk, we teach once and he understands it. Um, he's had ups and downs just like, uh, these, you know, all these freshmen and all these guys do. Um, the one thing that I don't think a lot of people realize is we're asking him to do something really hard. He played one position, the entire fall because of injuries and different things that occurred. We're asking him to kind of play both two positions and play a little bit out of position and do some different things to cover us. Um, and he's been an absolute stud and just uh, taking everything uh, as it comes in strides. And uh, he's in his size and his talent level and just his competitive spirit. Um, he'll have a really, really good chance to, to be one of the better players we've had, but we really like all three of those guys. And um, like I said, I think that's the most disappointing part of culture is that we've got some transfers that have come from different places and experienced college. I think the, all three of these guys, these young guys that are, that have come in, we're really, really excited to play in Dahlberg with, with a packed house, with the excitement, walk across campus uh, and have basketball matter, you know, just be in this community and be uh great members of our program that add to this place. And, uh, you know, I think it's just constant reminders like, hey, guys, it'll be there. Um, but Josh is – Josh, I can't say enough about in terms of just his competitive spirit and who he is as a young man. Chris Cobb joining Nuana is now. And, Coach, we get you out of here on this. Back into Big Sky Conference play. A couple home games this weekend. 5 p.m. Thursday against Northern Arizona and then 11 a.m. tip on Saturday. Both those games can be found on the Grizzly Radio Network as well as Pluto TV, Channel 1056. And, Coach, last time against Northern Arizona, I know it seems like forever and a day ago uh, last season, uh, but you guys fell in Flagstaff. And so is that a motivating factor coming into this one, or is it just status quo, Big Sky Conference game? And what's the overall scout on NAU? Yeah, I think we try not to, to worry too much about what happened last year at their place. I think some of the returners might remember, and I think as coaches we, we try to remember some of the things that they did that gave us problems and um, – and they try to do from a scheme standpoint because you can always, you know, got to be prepared for them to come out and attack you that way. Uh, Cam Shelton's obviously scored in, in an incredibly high rate, uh, one of the best scorers in the country. And, uh, and I think that they're always prepared and, and ready to go with a game plan to, to attack you, really specific to you. I thought they did a good job at, 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 our, at their place last year of kind of having a few things that they wanted to execute, and we didn't do a good enough job adjusting to it and making free throws at the end of the game to, to finish it. But um, I think, like I told you, Coulter, it's, it's really any, any game, any night um, can, in this conference this year, anybody can come out and get anybody. So uh, 
we've got to be prepared. We've got to be ready to go. Uh, the, it's such a cool environment. I think going playing the same team Thursday and Saturday because that Friday creates so many different conversations and uh, prep and adjustments and different things. So um, it's it, it's going to be fun. I think like you know they have some really good shooting that they put on the floor uh, and and they have some young some young big kids. So I think they're in some ways trying to do what we're doing where they have different bodies that, that they haven't had in the program that they're trying to figure out. But Cam Shelton is obviously one of the best players in this league and uh, requires a lot of attention. So we'll do some things to keep them off balance. But um, we're in, we're in a spot where we got, we got to close games out. So something that we've really worked on in the last, uh, last few weeks. And hopefully we, uh, we show some improvement and maturity in that area. He's Chris Cobb, associate head coach for the University of Montana men's basketball team. Chris, in action this weekend, 5 p.m. on Thursday against Northern Arizona and then doubling back Saturday morning, 11 a.m. against NAU. Both games can be found on the Grizzly Sports Radio Network as well as on Pluto Television and Thursday's game right here on SWX Montana Television as well. Coach Cobb, welcome back anytime. Thanks so much for joining us, man. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it, man. Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot. Connect to more. Going out of the Rankage Brothers RV phone line, welcome in Brooks Nuanez, Skyline Sports. This will be something that's pretty darn regular on Fridays on this show, breaking down all things Big Sky Conference sports and maybe even touching on some pro football as well. But we're going to start with a couple of the biggest news stories around the Big Sky from the last couple weeks pertaining to the landscape of the league in football. Jeff Choate, a finalist for the Boise State job. It came all the way down the wire, but Boise State ends up hiring Andy Avalos, the defensive coordinator at Oregon. And then the other one we'll get to here in a little while is Samari Torre, the Montana wide receiver who made his decision to transfer to Nebraska and maybe touch on a couple of the other uh, Big Sky Conference stars that entered the transfer portal, namely Deron Bland from Sacramento State, a first-team all-Big Sky corner. But first of all, Brooks, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you tracked the Jeff Choate thing along with me at Skyline. We were texting back and forth about the whole scenario. No need to go through the overall timeline of it, but I think we both agree that we're very impressed with Coach Choate as a person, his passion, his vision, uh, but also we both agreed that uh, this was the best thing for all parties involved, Jeff Choate returning to Montana State. Just your overall take about Andy Avalos getting the Boise State job instead of Jeff Choate. Yeah, I agree with that very much, Coulter, of Jeff Choate being quite an impressive person. I mean, he's he's really fun to talk to, and we always say it's like going to a history class with uh, with him lecturing on Mondays and Thursdays at times. Uh, but he's a really dynamic speaker, and it, it's he's one of the most interesting football minds I've been around. Um, he's really invested in culture. Um, the X's and O's are, are kind of a secondary thing after team building and culture. Um, I, I do think I agree with you as well that it was probably the best opportunity that he's had, and it may be the, one of the better opportunities he gets in his career as far as moving up to um, a, the FBS level, going to a school that he had so much history at as, a, as an assistant coach before in Boise State. Uh, but overall, I think it's what's best for him right now as far as where we're at in this global pandemic as well as where Montana State is at um, and, they're, and they're building our facilities um, and, and kind of him putting his stamp on the program. I think last year was his fifth season, if I'm not wrong, um, making it that he kind of now has an entire generation, an entire um, recruiting class of four different four different classes under his belt. Um, so now it's kind of all him, all Jeff Choate team. Um, and, you know, we also love the, the Montana-Montana State rivalry, especially since Bob Hawks are back. I think it's, you know, if it's not the best, it's one of the best rivalries in sports, especially at the college level. And in college football, it's got to be right up there. So, that being intact is going to be really fun to, to, to carry forward because those games have been pretty darn good under Choate, um, 4-0 so far. So this going into this fifth season, I guess. The most unique part about this was that uh, most of the time when we're talking about big sky coaches, either head coaches or coordinators or, or whatever, most of the time, unless it's like a position coach like a Gerald, Gerald Alexander at Montana State, for example, usually if they're a young star that's just a position coach, 
there's a variety of different uh, levels of trajectory. But usually when we're talking about head coaches and coordinators from the big sky level, we're by and large talking about going, coaches going to places where the staffs just got fired or, or where it's a rebuild. Bo Baldwin going from Eastern Washington to Cal to be Justin Wilcox's offensive coordinator. You know, they, they were taking over for Jeff Tedford. They were trying to rebuild the Cal program. Craig Bull going to Wyoming. I know Wyoming wasn't completely downtrodden, but uh, certainly uh, was kind of stuck in the middle, and Craig Bull was tasked with rebuilding that thing. You know, Paul Wolf from Eastern Washington to Washington State. Mick Dennehy from Montana to Utah State. This was, you're right, this is a completely different deal because this is a completely different opportunity. This is a program in Boise State that has won 240 games over the last 20 years. This is a program where you've had five consecutive coaches from Dirk Cutter to Dan Hawkins to Chris Peterson and now Brian Harson move up to really prestigious jobs. Like, I mean, you can say what you want about Colorado, but when Hawk got that job at Colorado, that was a good job. Chris Peterson obviously getting the Washington job, that's a hell of a job. Brian Harson getting the Auburn job, that's one of the best jobs you can get in the United States of America. So it was a completely different uh, dynamic. And I just talk about that part because I think that Choate is so good at a rebuild. He did the rebuild. But at Boise, you don't need to rebuild it. So I thought that was maybe one of the, the hangups of what could have been the transition. Like, you don't need a guy to come in and tear it down and rebuild the culture. Boise already has culture. Yeah, they definitely do, man. And I think that that probably played into what Choate's head coaching experience and his resume kind of shows is that right now his strength is rebuilding a program because that's the one thing he's done as a head coach, and that's not what Boise needed. Also, Boise State, whether or not we're in, in a pandemic, wants to put people in the stands. They want to put butts in seats. And Jeff Choate and his offensive acumen, or lack thereof, his development or and track record of developing quarterbacks, or lack thereof, I think plays into the overall aspect of here's what Boise State has done you know, a team that does rely on running the football, a team that does play a Northwest brand of football, but also throws it around the yard. And they've had some really prolific um, quarterbacks and offensive um, players. And, you know, a guy that was in the mix early was Kellen Moore. And I thought that was such an interesting, the, the current um, Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator. I thought that was an interesting dynamic to watch them try to hire an athletic director at Boise State as well as a head football coach. And what that looked like and how that played for Kellen Moore um, he was probably, you know, one of the best college candidates, especially in that kind of you know, mid-major level, if you will. Not that Boise State's not a top-tier program, but playing in the Mountain West is different than playing in a true Power Five conference. Um, getting a candidate like the, the the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys is, is is a testament to what that program's been in the last 20 years, as you've mentioned. So I think it is interesting for Choate, um, kind of what he probably had the best interview that they give that he's that they have received in a very long time. I mean, he is such a good a, a good talker. He can talk about himself and his ideals and his program as well as anyone I've ever met. Um, and Andy Avalos is another kind of guy, a young guy who hasn't been a head coach at that level, uh, but a guy who played there and was a terrific player at Boise State. So I could see why they gave that nod, I think, a little bit to inspire um, a fan base to get a little bit more excited than maybe a Jeff Choate who has – while albeit went to the national semifinals last year in the FCS um, before they lost to North Dakota State, has overall had around a 500 record and has beat a handful of good teams, most of them being um, from across the hill in, in, in uh, the University of Montana. So I think probably, as we mentioned before, it's probably the right move for both sides. I think that Schott has something in, in Bozeman that he quite hasn't finished, especially recruiting to those new facilities um, that they're going to build. So overall, I think that, like we mentioned, it probably is the right move for both uh, candidates and I think that Choate will be better off for going through that that interviewing process and being so transparent with the fan base and his players of hey they want me or they're looking at me um, it was a pretty open-ended process as far as uh, the transparency went. No question Brooks Nuanez from Skyline Sports joining us on Nuanez now on the Rankage Brothers RV phone line breaking down all things Big Sky Conference football specifically Jeff Choate staying at Montana State as the head football coach and last question on this one, then Brooks. It was interesting tracking this whole thing. You know, we got sources. We're talking to people. You know, people know how the, all of this stuff works. But there was an administrators meeting on Friday at Montana State. I thought that was indicative of one of two things: either Choate was leaving or he wasn't. And then I got news that there was a team meeting, and I thought that was indicative of one of two things: Choate was leaving or he wasn't. And it turned out he wasn't. And it turned out he was very, like you said, open with the administration at Montana State, as well as with his team. But 
from a perspective of uh, this Bobcat team now moving forward, it seems like this has a real opportunity to really galvanize the team. I think when you are honest with your players, they're rooting for you to have elevated opportunities, but also probably a huge sense of relief when you choose to stay. And you saw it on Twitter. You saw uh, guys that were, you know, like Isaiah Fonse, Tucker Rovig, some of the, the headlining Bobcat players tweeting memes and things, you know, celebrating that Choate was back. Uh, but can you imagine what that meeting was like? I'm sure that was one of the best speeches he's ever given when he, when he told the guys, hey, I made a run at it, but also I'm glad to be your guys' head coach. Oh, man, I can only imagine because, yeah, he's – He's really good at that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, we can all talk about how his his development of quarterback play has, has been a little bit uh, lackluster. But I mean, gosh, yeah. When they when they get in those locker room meetings and they get in those those motivational pregame speeches, uh, he's as good as it gets. And uh, you know, I've heard quite a few of them, and he's a pretty inspiring guy. Uh, I think he believes in it a lot, and and I think a lot of the transparency through the process is kind of just a reflection of him. He's a really honest person. I mean, he's. Anyone who's followed us or him uh, in our coverage of Jeff Choate, he 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 really you know he wears his feelings on his sleeve as much as he wears all of the information on his sleeve. I mean, he definitely tells you he's a very open book. He tells you straight up what he thinks and what they're going to do, and their X's and O's plans and their recruiting plans. And he doesn't really hide a lot. And I think it really does develop a player-driven program that is also has a hierarchy that starts with him. And it's unique. It's really hard to have a player-run program that then has this this ultimate powerful voice that stands over top of it. Um, he's really good at that. Um, you know, one of the best I've seen at this level especially. So I bet you that, as you mentioned, it'll probably galvanize these guys um, in a big way. And as you also said, I think you got to be happy for the guy when he gets an opportunity like this. I mean, everyone knows what money can do generationally for a family and what money can do uh, – and, and prestige can do in, in, in a coaching career, just getting the opportunity to, to prove to show yourself at such a high level. I mean, going from, you know, the 200 grand with bonuses that they make it at uh, the Montana, Montana state level, then, you know, there's a little bit of flux there up to that $1 million range uh, per year. You're talking about a, a lot of money there. So it, everyone was probably happy for him to get the opportunity. I think most people are happy he stayed. Brooks Nuanez, Skyline Sports joining us on Nuanez now transitioning to a little bit of talk about the way that the uh, pending and tenuous nature of the spring football season might affect transfers. And we've already seen some transfers. We've seen some prestigious ones, in fact, out of the Big Sky Conference. First and foremost, Kevin Thompson from Sacramento State, the reigning Big Sky Conference Offensive Player of the Year and a Walter Payton Award finalist. He transferred to the University of Washington and uh, probably a regrettable decision because he did not play much at UW. The craziest part about it is this guy's been in college now for seven seasons already because of a variety of different red shirts he's been able to garner. But because this is a zero year, he actually could even come back <laughs> next year. Could be an eighth-year senior, but that's here nor there. The other one that's most pertinent in the st- within the state of Montana is Samari Toure. Toure was a record setter last year at Montana, 87 catches, 1,495 yards, both breaking Mark Mariani's single-season records. He also had 13 touchdowns. Earlier this week, he announced his transfer – to Nebraska, and uh, that was one that shocked me. I knew the Samari was going to get a Power 5 look. I knew that he was getting a lot of Power 5 interest. Uh, he was getting recruited by Mississippi State because of the Mike Leach connections and, and having seen him back uh, when he was coming out in Portland. Um, he was getting some looks from Miami. He was getting looks from a lot of the schools on the West Coast, including Oregon, Oregon State, Washington State. But he ends up in the Midwest with the Cornhuskers in the Big Ten your initial reaction to Samari Torre now becoming a Big Ten player? Well, certainly happy for him. I mean, as you mentioned, getting all that different attention from schools around the country, clearly this was the, the move that he wanted to make. I think that Scott Frost, is, uh, you know, the head coach at, at Nebraska, is, is one of those kind of guys who's a really, really good recruiter. You know, I could see that his speech, his pitch uh, could, could, could edge out a couple of the other coaches that you mentioned at those schools. Uh, but Nebraska hasn't had it rolling for quite a, quite some time now. You know, I, I don't necessarily want to put a date on it, but it's been it's been the better part of the last decade before since so they've had um, a, a good team that's been nationally relevant, um, especially during their time in the Big Ten. Uh, Scott Frost is kind of a, a hire that that did inspire that fan base, and that fan base is so legendary. Um, you know, that will I don't think that that will wane or change. But right now, I think that Samari Torre will see. I mean, I, as far as 
how much will he play? I think he'll play there. I think that's a part of the reason that you go to a school like that is that they don't give you the opportunity to play because they have not had a bunch of prolific wide receiver play um, in that in that time span that we just mentioned. So overall, I mean, clearly happy for the guy. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go test his his abilities at the, at the next level. And I mean, gosh, a really really good FCS player. I you know I think a, a, the kind of guy that's more like a unanimous first team all all American. Uh, the kind of guy that's one of the the five best offensive players in the country. The kind of guy that will get an NFL look. You know, maybe not uh, maybe not long term NFL style of player, but he'll get an NFL look at no matter what program he's coming out of, whether that was staying at Montana or or transferring into the Big Ten. So clearly happy for the guy. I'm really interested to see you know, where Scott Frost takes that program because it's kind of a, a only way up, in, 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 at least in my eyes. Yeah, the Scott Frost angle is so interesting because Frost was a great offensive coordinator at Oregon. Uh, he had great offense at Central Florida, and that was one of the great stories in college football, particularly outside of the Power Five. Um, and then at Nebraska, it, it hasn't seemed to click. They only threw for five touchdowns last year. As opposed to nine picks, they only threw for about 190 yards per game. And the quarterback talent is apparently there. I mean, Adrian Martinez was supposed to be a five-star guy, and he was an outstanding player as a true freshman, and he's never really improved. And then they bring in Luke McCaffrey. Ed McCaffrey's, uh, I think, middle, maybe youngest son, but regardless, a transfer from Michigan who um, had a lot of prestige as well. And neither one of those guys has seemed to click. So there's definitely a missing link there, but that's here nor there. I think that the number one factor in Torrey picking Nebraska was that they had their number one receiver from a year ago transfer, Darian Chase, who was their number one uh, young guy, their number one recruit that that staff had brought in. He only lasted a year. He's now at Portland State, and that'll be – by the way, an intriguing fold because I do think that he's a guy that maybe people around the league don't know about who could absolutely be an impact player. He's a four-star recruit, and he'll be really good with Davis Alexander at Portland State. But I think that Toure knew that he was going to be among, if not the guys. I think he knew he could make an impact there, and so maybe um, that's the, the key to the decision. Uh, but Brooks, from your eyes, I mean, this is obviously a decision where he wants to compete at the next level, and he's trying to, comp- to uh, make himself into an NFL-caliber prospect. Is going from Montana to a Power Five an improvement in your draft stock, or does it come down to other factors? I'm not sure if it's an improvement in your draft stock per se, but I think it probably is an improvement in your preparation. Um, you get you get a better gauge on where you are at as an athlete, and sometimes I think it can either give you the confidence to believe in your game and where it's at, or it can give you the motivation to elevate your game. Um, you, you may realize, well, maybe you know if I can't compete in the Big Ten, I can't compete in the NFL. So. I do not think it necessarily improves your draft stock. I think it probably is more of a gamble of hurting your draft stock because if you do go to the Big Ten and you play at Nebraska and you don't have a great season, it, it, you're going to kind of get lost in the mix there. Um, but it, So I think it's a little bit of a gamble, but I do think it, it raises the potential for for your draft stock to, to, to skyrocket. But it does also have the adverse effect. So it's not necessarily something that I think this day and age is a necessity. Um, I do think that there are styles of player that that want that challenge, and sometimes you want that memory. And I think that both of those sure. are valid. You know, I think a guy like you mentioned the Sacramento State uh, quarterback in, in Kevin Thompson. I think sometimes you know you have a really good run. You're the Big Sky Offensive Player of the Year after coming from an FBS to a, to a, to the FCS at Sac State, and then maybe you just want that memory. Maybe Washington has a chance to make it to the college football playoff and you can say that you made, that you played it, you know, that you were a part of that. Uh, maybe you're not an NFL guy. Like I don't think Ken Thompson probably is. That memory is still, you know, it's pretty impressive. Um, and it's, it's, it's a pretty fun story to look back on. Uh, so I, I can totally understand that piece of it. And I don't think that I could fault anyone for, you know, wanting to say that they were part of something like the university of Nebraska football. You know, it's a pretty cool thing to say. No question. And, and, I mean, it's still one of the great fan bases in all of college football. Uh, Brooks, last question for you to Ron Bland from Sacramento State. He's into the portal as well. So now we've seen an exodus from Sacramento State. And uh, we've seen this pending, if not uh, tenuous, spring football season have an impact on rosters around the league. I think we're going to have a little bit more clarity when it comes to the landscape of Big Sky Conference football moving forward into the spring. Uh, But it seems like there's a lot of different trains of thought here. There hasn't been a lot of guys that are transferring from the Montana schools. I think both coaches have done a good job of convincing the players, hey, we're going to make a run at it when we can play next, whenever next might be. But then Sacramento State was the first school to opt out, and you've seen more 
guys from their roster enter the portal than any other team. And so it seems as if the players, regardless of the stipulations and the and the circumstances, they want to play right now. So uh, Jerron Bland leaving Sac State, that hurts Sac State. But, um, I mean, do, do you think that this is uh, – I guess, do you think that we're going to see more dominoes fall on both sides depending on if and when the spring occurs? Yeah, I do. I, I think inherently it's it's been kind of proven that that a lot of institutions play football to make money and a lot of kids play football to play football. Um, I think sometimes it's hard to when we look at the at the business side of college football, it's hard to really just grasp how much a kid might just really like to play football, whether it's a spring scrimmage against his own team, whether it's a spring football season where it's a six game schedule. There's some guys out there and I think it's probably the majority who really like just to play. It could be it could be spring ball, it could be it could be flag football, it could be seven on seven leagues. Guys just like to play football. And I am I kind of fall into that camp, and I, and I really believe that outside of the money, which is going to be a big driver of this kind of stuff, that there's going to be kids who are looking for opportunities to get on the field. And if there's a team like Sac State who opts out of the spring season, you're going to see an exodus because you're going to see guys who want who want to play. On the flip side, I hope that there's you know some institutional uh, transparency with the fact that how much are schools going to follow the trend of saying they're going to play and, and knowing when that they're not saying that they're going to plan a spring season when it's not going to happen. I think there's a lot of noise in the big sky right now. of How, how, how realistic is this spring football season? And I think you and I have both had questions about that, but if you get kids back in the school, if you get them on the practice field, then there's this expectation like it's going to happen. Uh, so I think that hopefully, uh, it's not just a pony, uh, a pony show where you're just you're you're kind of bluffing in a way to keep kids on rosters. Um, I think that you know the national letter of intent and, and the commitment to a school is, is important. But in this day and age, we've seen how much transfers have the ability to move around, have the ability to find a place to play, have the ability to find a place to be happy. Um, if this spring, this tenuous spring season doesn't happen, and as teams continue to opt out, but they've already kind of cut the timeline down with starting semesters and et cetera, et cetera. I think there's going to be a little bit of blowback maybe just internally with some of these schools of kids having a little bit of false hope for, for things that weren't necessarily going to happen uh, kind of from the jump. Brooks Nuanez, doubling up the Nuanez now. SkylineSportsMT.com for all your up-to-date Big Sky Conference news. We'll keep you apprised of everything that's happening around the league, whether it's the transfer portal, the pending spring season, scheduling decisions, or game recaps. Podcast, Big Sky Breakdown, we got it all. SkylineSportsMT.com. Brooks, appreciate the time, my man, and thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back into the Big Sky Breakdown. Just heard from Brooks Nuanez, his weekly hit on Nuanez Now, our daily radio show, 1029 ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide SWX Montana Television. If you're out of the Missoula market but you want to listen to the show, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. It's easy, 1029ESPN.com. Click on the Listen Live tab, or you can find the podcast on the website as well or on your various podcasting platforms. And uh, we'll be breaking out Big Sky Sports on the radio and right here on the Big Sky Breakdown as well. As always, you can find the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. And Brooks, I wanted to parlay and, and continue to talk a little bit about the spring football season. I thought uh, you made an interesting point there about uh, programs, coaches, teams dangling the carrot of a, a pending spring football season that then potentially and, uh, in my opinion, likely isn't going to happen and I thought that was interesting because because Justin Angle, who's a business professor at the University of Montana, he joins us every other Tuesday for the business angle on Nuanez now. But he was saying that in his experience working in, in higher education, working in universities, that the the uh, the standard way of operating seems to always be to craft an optimistic solution rather than promote all of the options that are the solutions or perhaps the downfalls of it. So I, th- I think that that's more just a, a product of higher education than maybe anything else. Um, but I, I do think that trying to get the guys back on campus and, and into the normalcy of, of at least the spring semester and then maybe rolling into winter conditioning and spring football like it was a quote-unquote normal year, 
is probably better than the the direct opting out broadly because the opt out is just basically like, hey, we're not going to play in the fall, we're not going to play in the spring, and I think it gives guys a lot more time to dwell. But I mean, from an athlete perspective, like you said, I mean, a lot of guys want to play football rather than just make money for their institutions. So, I mean, what do you think of the dichotomy here in terms of you know the, comparing maybe Sacramento State who did opt out early uh, compared to the schools that then are kind of hanging on waiting for a decision to be made. Well, I understand it from both sides. I really do. I think it's probably more challenging for the institutions to figure out, you know, the opt-out is, as you mentioned, it doesn't, then you don't get to start this clock. There's this whole, the NCAA has always had timelines of when you can and cannot do things, when coaches can be with players, when strength coaches can be with players, when players can do their own player run practices. There's all these timelines. And they kind of, in a way, it's like a false finish line or a false starting line. So right now, once kids go to school and you start this spring season, then all of a sudden you can get on-field work no matter if you're going to play or not. So I do think that that's important. Um, I guess as far as the transparency of kids being able to understand what's going to happen, um, I think that there's probably coaches and administrators that have a better pulse of what is actually going to happen then they probably let on, you know, I don't blame them for that. What, what else, what other option do they have? Um, but I think a lot of the spring season can be in a way, my ideal um, model would look like the NCAA kind of backs off for this next six months and lets institutions and teams uh, kind of run things the way that they need to or want to. So if you want to have a scrimmage against Idaho state, when you're Montana, then you can go and bus there and hire your own refs, just like they do in the spring scrimmages. Maybe it's a hybrid scrimmage. I think there's ways to play football as long as there's not like this overbearing NCAA um, time limits and rules on a week to week basis. You know, I think that when we see like hard knocks, for instance, in the HBO, the, the show about NFL training camps, there's a lot of co-opt practices. Maybe you invite Montana Western down and you do one-on-ones with the DBs and receivers and the offensive and defensive line and gets to do one-on-ones. And you do a little bit of hybrid, like three-on-five and a little bit of run-fit drills. You don't necessarily have to do a full scrimmage and maybe mitigate some of those injury risks, but you can kind of co-opt different football events and activities um, that right now the NCAA kind of does not allow unless it's under the structure of your in-season or your out-of-season. And out-of-season means that you really don't have a lot of time with kids and players. So I think that the NCAA could probably step up and be a little bit more of a guide right now. Um, They're letting it fall on the conference's shoulders, which is positive in some aspects, but some aspects, the conferences like in the big sky have such a large footprint in the West United States that not every state is having the same reaction and the same protocol uh, to this global pandemic as other states. So it doesn't really work. Maybe regionally it does, but it doesn't really work for Arizona, California, Oregon and Montana to all be on the same page. So I think if the NCAA could and probably should step up and show a little bit more leadership um, in those aspects of kind of taking off, it's just going to be a zero year. Why, why is there still time limits? If there, if this doesn't count against eligibility, why is there still rules and restrictions against some of those things? So that's where I, it, it's a hang up for me that coaches have to, and administrators have to start this false narrative of a season. That's not going to happen just so they can get a couple practices in. Quick hitters on all the pros that could happen in the spring football season. One, you do get extra practice time. You get accelerated development for young guys on your roster, especially if you uh, play this season like some of the coaches have implied that they might, where you're not really going to play a lot of your quote-unquote headliner-type star guys. You do get to make up for some of the time that you missed both last spring football and during fall camp. Then there's the economic portion of it. You're obviously going to not make any money if you can't if you have limited and or no fans in the stands. But I thought Justin Angle made a great point on Nuanez now last week when he said that it could be a boost to the local economy. You're not going to have thousands of people coming in from around the state like you do for typical Bobcat or Grizz home games, but you still will have people going out to restaurants and bars to watch the games, even if it is you know, social distancing and limited capacities and all that, it still gives people a reason to go spend money in the community. So that could be a boost. So those are a couple of the pros. And I think then you also get to appease the guys on the teams that really do just want to play football. So it's a good thing for the student athletes in general. You also could have a football uh, money-making opportunity if you could figure out a pay-per-view thing, particularly when it comes to the Cat Grizz game. If you're going to have a Cat Grizz rivalry game with nobody in the stands, 
I think you could charge a pretty hefty sum for that game and maybe make up a little bit of the revenue that you've lost, uh, undoubtedly lost throughout these last um, months and close to a year now of the COVID-19 pandemic. On the flip side, though, I think there's a whole bunch of different cons from uh, local and county health department regulations that might limit or, or severely impede practices to the inclement weather in Montana. How do you get the football field cleared every single day to get the proper number of practices in to get your guys ready? For example, Montana, Montana State both started school here on Monday, uh, January 11th, and they're just doing basically what is like a spring-style schedule for these next couple weeks, eight eight hours a week in terms of lifting and conditioning and all that. And then they're going to try to dive into what would amount to a fall camp schedule on February 1st. Well, it's not just about toughing it out and going out and practicing. you got to clear the field. you got to maintain your facility. Both fields at the two schools, they don't have great drainage. They don't have the ability uh, to, to have – 10 to 12 inches of snow day after day after day and then have practices. So that's going to be tenuous. And the other thing is a lot of times athletics is not attached to facilities. They're two different departments. So now all of a sudden athletics is having to fork out money day in and day out for maintenance, to get the field cleared, to, to get the facilities guys, uh, to make sure everything's operating in proper fashion. And so th- th- that's just from a, a tangible standpoint, some of the drawbacks. But then it's also there's the questions of what's the validity of a spring football season? How many FCS programs are going to participate? Uh, will it be a legitimate championship? And then you have the question of what is it like playing a spring football season and then turning around, the shortest turnaround in college football history is what it would be leading up to the next season. Usually it takes nine months to re-prepare for the upcoming season as opposed to this would be a turnaround that would be more like three and a half months. The other question is, the NCAA exists solely to administer and facilitate championships. Well, the NCAA is going to be coming right off of its men's and women's basketball championships when the FCS alleged playoffs is supposed to happen. So how do they logistically get this thing all ironed out? To me, there's just a, a bunch of huge question marks. So, I mean, do you have any others that are just pros or cons of if they were to actually make a run at this thing and play a spring football season? Yeah, I agree with you on on a lot of the cons, the pros and cons. I think that there are quite a bit few pros. Um, the, <clears throat> the legitimacy of a championship, I think, is hard. You know, I – I don't necessarily see the point of playing a hybrid playoffs when not all conferences are involved um, and naming a champion in, in, in a very different season. So that, that part's hard, you know, let's say it's, it's NDSU who, who ends up opting out and then there's a, a now a champion that broke that their streak of seven titles in a row or whatever it stands at right now. You know, I, I think that there's some questions that I, I I wish didn't have to be answered. You know, I wish that there just wasn't necessarily a spring season. I I don't see the point to it. You know, I get the pros of it, but um, I also see a lot of cons to it, especially for, you know, the vast majority of programs. Um, You talk about CACRIS being able to generate pay-per-view money through TV rights and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's very, it's two very rare programs and a rare instance and circumstance in the FCS. That's not the case for most schools. So can Montana, Montana State make money off football almost any time of the year, no matter what the, the situation? Yes, but that's not the case for most schools. So if it's only the case for a handful of the top schools, again, I think that there's ways that you could facilitate spring styles of football without necessarily going through a season. I know we're going to continue to report on this and, and track it, uh, but I mean, I think a lot of people want to believe that the spring football season could occur because they want something to watch. They want something to follow. They want their best, their favorite teams back in the fold. If a spring season did happen though, how much do you think that that could impact either positively or negatively a fall season uh, next fall? I, I think in the fall season would, would be probably negatively affected. Uh, you know, not just the injury risk, which I think is clearly the easiest, the easiest barometer of what that look Football has inherent risk, even in the co-opt practices I talked about, even in literally punter kicker drills. Football is one of the most dangerous, high-risk sports in the entire world. So the risk factor, like you mentioned, that not a lot of the maybe quote-unquote starter star players, you're still putting people at risk um, in a thing that quote-unquote may not matter. These kids signed up for it. These players want to play. I get all that. That's maybe a moot point, but it is a factor. But when he, the quick turnaround then is, those kind of injury risks and or, you know, there's a lot of surgeries that happen in football, off-season surgeries and shoulder surgeries and knee surgeries and cleanups and 
what's the turnaround look like for those kind of players? As well as what is it? We don't really have a sample size, maybe outside the NFL, which I think we all know some of the history of, of brain injuries in the NFL. What is the, what does it look like for a 20 year old uh, college football player to participate in, let's say up to 23 football games in a, in a calendar year. And I don't think it's really ever been done. I think in the NFL, the most games you can play, if you win the Super Bowl is 20, or if you go to the Super Bowl is 20. Uh, what does it look like for a team to play a, let's call it an eight game season into a 12 game season, which is at 20 all the way to the national championship, 23, 24 games. What's that look like for a player's body? What does that look like for not only this football season, but then the following spring and the regular cycle of college football. I mean, I think it's something that is with how much unknown there is around head injuries. I think that there's surely something that um, to be said about adding 23, 24 games onto a, a, a college athlete's load, not to mention, um, you know, and not to get too much into the, the the medical portions of it, but not to mention like what these kids have gone through in the last year during this COVID-19 pandemic. You know, there was a recently an article on the athletic that talked about kids, players from around the country, power five schools being in dorm rooms for months at a time, a full month duration of being contact traced and quarantining in a hotel or in a dorm room with on an empty campus, just so that they could play six football games in some cases being away from their family, not being able to go to holiday season, having to do their schoolwork online, being isolated from friends, um, and a lot of times isolated from team activity just due to contact tracing and quarantining. The mental toll that that has on a player, so they're going to put them through a spring football season that is actually real football, not just spring ball, but real football, and then straight into a really short summer program that looks right into fall football. I, I think the mental toll would be, huge even for for players who are opting in and who, players who love football that's never really been done so i think that there's a high risk factor for what that looks like for the mental and physical health of all players and the quality of the last of, question the for you of then the, of the product right if a spring football championship were to happen and north dakota state was to win it or they were not to win it would you count that towards their streak or the ending of their streak that's a fair question i um I count all championships, you know, I've, I've played in, in four team brackets where you played one game, you went to the championship and you won it and you got a medal and you're in fourth grade. And it was a championship. Uh, you know, the recent NBA bubble is a championship. Uh, the, you know, if, I'll, if Ohio state would have won against Alabama on Monday in the, in the college football national championship, only have played six regular season games. I call that a championship. So uh, yes, you'd have to name someone a champion in that case. And, and whoever it may be, North Dakota State or not, I think that they would be the the 2020 uh, national champions. Big Sky Breakdown every week. Check it out. SkylineSportsMT.com. Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot. Connect to more.